Welcome back to Troubleshooting Agile. This is Jeff Frederick, and I am once again recording live at DevOps Enterprise Summit 2022. And I'm here today with uh, Dominica DeGrandis. Welcome back, Dominica. Thank you, Jeff. Glad to be here. So Dominica is uh, an expert on flow. We uh, covered that the last time that we got to uh, sit down with her, which was the same conference, but in 2019. And uh, recently, you've had the second edition of your book, Making Work Visible, come out. Um, and just a question, how did you end up becoming such an expert in flow? What got you into that as, a, as an area? Mm. My background was a build engineer mm-hmm. and really doing software configuration management for many years, which led into merging and source code control and doing a lot of um, releases and configuration of environments. And I think it was in 2005, 2006, we started doing Kanban mm-hmm. for our okay. operations. Wow. And so measuring wait times mm-hmm. versus uh, work time yeah. and getting visibility on it. And that really changed things because we started doing operational reviews where okay. we had each team lead had to present their cumulative flow diagrams. Right to their peers and um, and their bosses and business partners were invited to those sessions okay. too. So that was a huge, that was really a pivotal time to describe your team's productivity in terms of flow. <laughs> That's great. You, so yeah. you took a kind of a different path from mainstream agile, yeah. which, you know, I think yeah. it was about 2001 that the Poppendex book on lean mm-hmm. software development was written. I remember that because about the same year as the Agile Manifesto, yeah. but where mainstream Agile went more extreme programming, transitioning into Scrum, mm-hmm. it seems like you were an early on the Kanban phase. Yeah, we never. I never really did do Scrum. Yeah, we just went right into Kanban. And Don Reinertsen came to visit us. Oh wow! Okay, and maybe it was two thousand and six. Okay, on principles of flow. Yeah, he was interested in our work because we were, I think, the first organization in the U.S. to be doing Kanban. Wow. Which organization was this? This was Corbis. Okay. It's Bill Gates' other company oh, in Seattle. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I think Kanban got more of a start in uh, the U.K. Europe, yeah. Right. So you have, yeah. I know, I yeah. came to it through um, David Anderson. Yeah, David J. Anderson. I and, worked with And David. Chris Matz uh, mm-hmm. uh, was someone else who yeah. introduced me to it. I went off to, so I put together the first uh, Kanban for DevOps okay. uh, curriculum in the U.S. for David J. Anderson and went to, so he sent me off to Europe. Okay. So first I went to Sweden, Stockholm, and I met the Spotify folks. Okay. And then I traveled to Northern England. And mm-hmm. so I met these sort of pioneers in the Kanban movement who right. were also interested in doing that for operations, not just development. Right. And so one thing led to another, and there's such a huge community over there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then after I got the workshop going... I think it was 2011 when I launched uh, the Kanban for DevOps in the U.S. And the first class was going to be in California. And Gene Kim <laughs> attended that along with John Willis okay, and Damon Edwards and Andrew Clay Schaefer was there. Wow. And that evening I gave a talk to the Mountain View 
Right. Yeah, uh, I don't know. There's like three, four hundred people there, and that's where I met <laughs> um, um, Adrian Cockcroft, yeah. and just a whole bunch of other jazz humble, all these luminaries. It was a really exciting time. Right. Uh, yeah. I, just, I was just like in the right place at the right time. That's great. But well, you had. I mean, it sounds like it wasn't an accident. You, you'd had several years of experience uh, at that point. That's true. You yeah. would have been one of the most experienced people in the U.S. on that's actually right. applying this. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, the, the, the topic of, of Kanban is be a whole interesting other discussion. I'm actually, um, Squirrel and I in our recent episodes have been talking about the value of estimation or not. Mm. And, um, so, and that's actually in, in for people who listen to the podcast and, and I know personally, it's been one of the most contentious topics. Yes, it but is. Even, yeah. But even the whole, the two episodes are about Squirrel and I arguing about oh, yeah. the value of estimations or not. And he was taking more of a sort of, Elephant carpaccio, ship something every day. You don't need to estimate if your if your flow is fast enough, your flow is high enough, then the value estimation. Well, if you have the data that shows the probability or the likelihood of delivering within so many days based on historical data, then you don't have to guess. Right. And so, I, but yeah. and, you know, I could easily, you know, we could easily be derailed <laughs> into that because could, yeah. I, I'm, I'm actually was taking the pro estimating side and, and yeah. literally as I'm on my, I was walking to the room for this, I had someone respond and say, I remember someone else told me that your estimates, you should be underestimating 50% of the time. So, you know, you, you want to be, if your, if your estimates are accurate in a sense, you know, they're, they're. Uh, they're consistent, then you should be missing them as often as you're making them. Mm-hmm, interesting. Uh, so for maximum learning, but that maybe is a different podcast. Yeah. But so, what, but we were talking before we get started here, not about Kanban, but you said in one of the the really exciting topics for you, and this is something that you've changed in your second edition of your mm-hmm. book, is putting more in on change. Mm-hmm. And uh, in, tell me about this. What what's made change so front and center for you right now? Yeah. Because it's so hard for change. There's a lot of resistance to change and new ways of working. So I work with a lot of really large organizations to help them understand flow metrics. Right. And maybe, how to maybe use ex- flow metrics. Maybe explain that. Who you work for? What's what is so, the the why you'd be talking to large organizations? Oh, so uh, I work for TaskTop uh, now, PlanView, mm-hmm. and um, I work a lot with a product called TaskTop Viz. Which is essentially uh, making your part flow of a, a framework that, design. yeah. With, so we are looking at, you know, the standard flow metrics of WIP and throughput and flow time and flow efficiency. And when people who aren't familiar with that see that for the first time, mm-hmm. which is what happens with a lot of customers <laughs> who are under some major transformation mm-hmm. or initiative, you know, right. let's do flow metrics. Uh, they're they're usually curious about what flow metrics are, right. but then they wonder why. You yeah. know, how does it apply to them? Yes. And so there's a lot of learning and um, understanding the higher level. You know, flow fa- flow metrics are really they're not intended to replace door metrics or team metrics that right. are useful at the team level. Mm-hmm. But we're trying to bring visibility. To the, the higher level, the organization or at the product value stream level, so we can see end to end how work is flowing and how we measure the, the performance of that 
Right. Now, now for me, as someone who's into system engineering and a system yeah. view says, you know, that hearing the word end to end is like going to light up. Exactly. If we, if we don't have visibility end to end, we can't be making global optimizations. Exactly. That's the thing. Because teams are, they're still measured in their team. Yes, that's right. And so that's what, tell me how you're going to measure me and we'll tell you how we're going to behave. And that's so right. we're going to optimize locally because that's how we get measured. That's right. Uh, but when you talk to the uh, just our say, business partners, exactly. they want to make our customers happy. <laughs> that's right. And so that's why we want to start the clock as as soon as we've decided that we're going to do something. Right. And and not end the clock when we're dev done. Right. End the clock when the customer gets their thing and right. that it's available for them. And we've looked at, you know, like thousands of different value streams that have been measured. And it turns out that only about two to 12% of the total flow time mm-hmm. uh, of the, of delivery of value to customers mm-hmm. is within development or, you know, build, of course. test, yeah. you know, QA. That's right. And anytime I've worked with the development team and got them functioning well, what they soon learn is the bottleneck is actually not upstream. Bad. It's not, yeah. it's not development. Yeah. People say, Oh, we're, you know, we're, we're slow getting stuff to market. We need to speed up development. They're almost always looking in the wrong place, but yeah. they have no visibility into it. They have no system view. Yeah. And, and so then they, they don't even realize their, their mistakes. Yeah. I'm doing this learning sprint here uh-huh. at the conference yes. and I'm, teaching people about designing product structures mm-hmm. end to end okay. so we can get the visibility on all, whether it's external product or internal product or platform mm-hmm. product to help people understand that if say the payment product value stream is running really smoothly, yeah. but it's dependent on a DevOps workflow <laughs> that isn't automated or has uh People there are just overloaded and don't have capacity to do all the things needed by the payment system. Right. That it does no good to optimize the payment system, <laughs> even. But that's where they want to go. And so, but see, here we are. We're, we're making the same mistake, though, right, Dominic? Because you and I both understand this. We're both bought in, and it's you know, it's we can talk about all the benefits yeah. and get really excited. But that's when you go into a client here where, where maybe they've, they've purchased it, they're mm-hmm. looking to adopt it, they're part of some transformation, the people who actually need to adopt it, though, suddenly you don't get that kind of excitement. Yeah, yeah, there's resistance. And, and, and this, yeah. for this, you know, this speaks to me in that, in that 2005 time when you were talking about developing Kanban, I was mm-hmm. at a company where I was a developer evangelist, software evangelist for a company called Agitar mm-hmm. that was selling developer testing tools to help them unit test. And I was living that life at the time when we had this tool set that could really help you with your Java code, help, you know, really speed your, your uh, time to development in developing your unit tests and, and have much better solid tests of code. And I would come in and find that people, you know, had other things to do. I'm too busy. I, too I, busy. Yeah. They're back-to-back meetings all day long. That's even, right. even organizations who, um, Say they have whip limits in place. If you look at their calendars, it's back to back to back meetings. Yes. And then there's all the unplanned work. And if, squirrel, still- if Squirrel's here, I know that one of the first things he does when he coaches people is he says, right, let's look at your calendar and mm-hmm. we're going to cancel some meetings. You're, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to, you're going to decline. You're going to use the, the button that people rarely use, which is the no the button. No button. Yeah, yeah. You can actually decline meetings. 
Yeah. Uh, people don't aware of this. Yeah. Uh, but that's exactly yeah. the case. I think people are, are going to continue doing what brought them value previously. Right. So if they learn something really well and they're really good at it and it's what got them where they are today, that's rational. they want to keep doing that. <laughs> Why wouldn't I do what's worked before? And to make a significant changes, um, it's, it's scary. So I think unless there's, so what do leaders do? Take it from two sides of using fear, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, maybe not intentionally, yes. but because I'll talk to leaders and they say, oh no, we have, our teams are happy. They have the autonomy to do whatever they want. And then I go, I meet with the teams and they're <laughs> like, we don't have permission to do that. Yes. Um, so to meet people who are willing to go out on a limb and do things without asking permission, because maybe it's the right thing uh to do if they get squashed or they don't get the support they need they stop they either stop doing that or they leave and everyone else learns the lesson that in fact it wasn't safe to do something Mm -hmm. different they learned compliance and that's combined with the rate of change happening faster and faster and faster and needing to do more and more and more. But there's a different kind of change. And this is the irony, right? Which is there, there's a more demands to change the software, but it makes it harder to change the process. It makes it harder to change the system. Oh, yeah. Because people don't have the slack to change yeah. the system. And because there's very little investment mm-hmm. in a sort of a horizontal um, capacity where teams over here who are learning A have documented their new way of working. Right. And there's a good, um, there's people who have time and capacity allocated to ensure that that communication then bubbles up to some central library where, yeah. where people, and that it's, and that it's read off. And I was just talking with Amy Bechtel, uh, who was with Capital One and then went to AWS and now off to something new and great. But she's talking about how at AWS, they actually take time to read. <laughs> they have sessions set up for people to read yes. their lessons learned and their documentation. And then what we at Tasktop try to do is ensure that it's incorporated into people's daily Work And I think that's a key missing piece is sometimes I'll meet with customers and mm. once a week and they haven't done anything the other four days out of the week. That's right. Unless you're, when you're doing something new and learning something new, unless it's part of your daily practice, which yes. is one of our five <laughs> ideals of DevOps and the unicorn project. Yes. It, it's, it's too easy to forget. That, that's right. I, I'm, I'm so. one of the, the co-founders at Tim. Uh, where I was working when I developed, worked on the book, uh, Agile Conversations, when we were rolling out the training there about conversations to help have a more of a learning culture mm-hmm. uh, in more higher psychological safety, he made the point that he, he'd been reading something that said, like, yeah, if you, you need to do a daily practice, if you just mm-hmm. do it once a week, well, then you're practicing the old habits four days a week. Yeah, and, exactly. And the new way one day a week, that's not going to work. Yeah. So yeah. making making that sort of the new process, what the new behaviors, 
something you do every day is really key. And in, in my the coaching clients I have, when they're working on their conversational skills, we go through a, a conversational dojo exercise, which takes mm-hmm. 15 to 30 minutes for you to do. Closer to 15 if you're doing it by yourself. And I said, like, yeah, do it daily. If you say you want to be better, this is what it takes. Yeah. You don't, don't you know, yeah. if, if you say, well, gee, I'm not getting stronger. Are you going to the gym? Well, no, I, I go once a week or once a month. Doesn't cut it. That's not going to do yeah. it. I remember Gene Kim's guidance for me uh, when I was writing the first edition of Making Work Visible. This is Dominica, uh, two CPs a day. What's a CP? That's a crappy page. You know, write two, <laughs> two pages a day. And then I, I actually heard that in a really old, uh, YouTube, um, from Tim Ferriss. Yes. Yeah. I think he may have got it from, um, uh, Anne Lamott. She wrote a book on writing called Bird by Bird. Mm. And I, I, and I, I hope maybe I'm, I hope I have this right, but her phrase was SFD, shitty first draft. Oh yeah. You know, you want to get that. That's the hardest one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But it's the, it's the practice and discipline of doing it. And it's hard because you're bad. And I think this is the, this is the tension to people who are under a lot of pressure that need to be putting all of their energy into performing can't take time to learn because if you know the satire change model, you get this kind of J, J curve. curve. Exactly. Your, your, yeah. your output will drop. And I think about it on my backgrounds in physics. And I say, look, this is conservation of energy. Yeah. I can either put my energy into production or into learning in some combination. Isaac Newton says so. <laughs> exactly. So if yeah. I'm going to put energy into learning, I have to put less into production. That's just that's just what has to happen. Otherwise, I'm not learning. So, And that's really hard for people to engage with. That's where we have this uh, metric called flow distribution in Viz, where you're looking at your work item types. So you've got your features and defects and uh, risks, like security, vulnerabilities, and debt. Mm-hmm. And debt is not just technical debt. But debt is learning yes. or experimentation or cross-training. And so looking at how much capacity of the teams is allocated for learning. And if there's an intent to have a learning organization, yeah. then <laughs> let's have a strategy What's for what... What's your budget for learning? Yes. And are you actually how spending it? How much are you going to invest in, in learning to allocate capacity? And if you say that you're going to invest... 30% into learning, yeah. but then you look at the work that was actually released and it's feature, 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 <laughs> and no uh, learning. Right. There, there you go. Right. Fantastic. So I guess uh, to, to kind of sum up here, then if you are someone in an organization who will take it from both sides, based on your experience, if you're a leader who's trying to help get people to change, it sounds like you have a pretty clear direction, mm-hmm. which is give people a learning budget and make sure they're spending it. Yeah. And if you're, if you're the individual who's trying to be there, any, any tips for them that you've found? Might be helpful? Yeah. Well, I think for leaders, there cannot be an expectation that they can go to one workshop and, and be done with it. If it is not incorporated into their daily practice. Right. Yeah. And for um, practitioners trying to learn something new the same thing. Go yeah. out on a limb. You have to and, ask for that. And, t- and block yeah. off time on your calendar. Right. We call it flow time <laughs> for deep thinking where you're not going to be interrupted. Because otherwise, when are you going to do that? At yeah. midnight or Sunday afternoon? That, that's you great, know? actually. It just so happens that on my calendar, and I, you know, when I categorize things by color, 
when I put it yellow, that's flow. That's actually literally what I called. I didn't know yeah. you called it that <laughs> yeah. flow time, but yeah. it turns out that's exactly what I uh, uh, call it for myself because the yeah. same thing. I want time where I can get into the flow of what I'm doing and, and improve. It's something away from the daily, you know, back-to-back meetings that have become so common in the remote working world. Mm-hmm. Make sure I have that time to do those things. Excellent. All right. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Tamika. For people who want have questions for you, who listen to this and want to know more, mm-hmm. what's the best way for them to get a hold of you? Probably on LinkedIn okay. or my website, ddgrandis.com. Uh, okay. We'll put links to both of those in the show note. Awesome. And uh, for anyone who has questions uh, or feedback for Squirrel and I, of course, you can get talk to us uh, through agileconversations.com, where you'll find our email address and Twitter and past episodes and transcripts and other resources, all that kind of fun stuff. And of course, you can always hear us again next Wednesday uh, here at Troubleshooting Agile. Thank you, Dominica. Thank you, Jeff.